Welcome to Civil Discourse. I'm Jamie Wojciechowski. I'm Marilyn Brown. And, okay, first, we, not everyone can see us. Um, if you're listening to the podcast version, you won't have noticed yet that Marilyn looks very different. Um, she has a fabulous new hairdo. And I, I'm just, I want to know what, what prompted the the change. Ah, yes. That's such a good question. So it was a long, something I was thinking about for a long time, but then once I decided to do it, it was pretty quick. Um, so probably for the last two years or so, my hair hasn't really felt like me. When I first went natural and I and I started kind of getting to know my own natural hair in like 2008, it really started to feel like me and I was just kind of connecting with it and watching videos and and learning more about natural hair care. And so all of that felt great. And then at some point, like a couple of years ago, it just didn't really feel like me, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I'd kind of think about cutting it and thinking about color and things. But with color, there was always this fear of um, damaging my hair. And it was always like, oh, I don't want to put any color in my hair. And so um, I'm in my mid-30s and I've never colored my hair before. And that's something that I've always wanted to do and been interested in doing. And just like I like to play with style. I like to play with my style with clothes. Like style is a way that I express myself. And so hair was something that I always felt very limited in because I felt like it's so important to grow healthy hair and to show that I can grow healthy hair and to kind of it, it becomes, you know, there's a lot with um, hair as a black woman, that, that there's a lot of, of history around hair and there's a lot of, of issues around hair. There's a lot of discrimination that, that black women face based on hair and natural hairstyles. And so doing things like colors that are out of the ordinary or, or, or more, um, more, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. I wouldn't even say flamboyant, but maybe just more interesting styles, maybe less, um, you know, more natural kind of, um, elaborate styles a lot of times there's there's discrimination there's actually a study that was published in 2016 that um from the perception institute that black women with natural hair are discriminated against in the workplace and so all of that to be said that my own natural hair journey has been a really long um complicated thing and i always made it i i, I always put such a priority on on maintaining my hair as kind of this way to show something about myself. And so this was more of like a, it's only hair. And I saw a picture like a week and a half ago and I fell in love with it. And I just fell in love with the look and I was like, that's what I want to do. And it just like really resonated with me really deeply. And I was like sending it to my friends and family. Like, this is what I want to do. What do you think? And it just felt like the right thing. And so it was a combination of like seeing something that I, that felt right and resonated with me, but also on top of just being able to like let go of my attachment to my hair and like, you know, what that means to, to be able to grow hair and what your hair looks like and, and, and texture and all of that stuff and be willing to just like play and do something fun. So yeah, that was a yeah. long answer. <laughs> no, I love it. But, it. but it's been a lot that's kind of gone into it. And it's been, a, it, like I said, it was a long process coming to this decision. But then as soon as I saw, that picture and I was like yes that's it that's what I want to look like it was like went for it yeah it's nice and it, it reminds me of just I don't know if you've ever talked about it as kind of the uh Buddhist concept of self and the idea that uh our self is constantly evolving and it's never the same in any two moments and I think a lot of people you know, I think a lot of people struggle with that because they see their the idea of self as this defined thing. So then they're constantly judging their past and their future based on what they think is this fixed thing. So what I, I liked you said, I, what I love that you said was about how uh, in, in 2008, you were in alignment with where you were at. And then you realized that it, it was time for a change because your idea of self had had changed yes yeah drastically it had changed it's changed in the last couple of years and so I think that was why whereas at that point the the change was kind of more gradual this is like a more drastic change that kind of reflects where I feel like I've been 
going mm-hmm. and kind of have seen myself in the last couple of years. But I think a lot of times with growth, a lot of it happens internally and kind of quietly on the inside. Um, and then from the outside, it can look like things have kind of quickly happened, but there was a lot that kind of took to get to the point to be able to let go and not care that like, you know, I did these changes and let something go that I had been, you know, that I, that I had again put a lot of my identity and kind of sense of self around, um, over the last, you know, few years or so. Yeah. It, it's interesting because, uh, I had a quote and now there's an, another topic that I think is really resonating with me is this idea of, I feel in, in my own mindfulness journey, there's this kind of push and pull between uh, m- materialism and the the body. And it, it's interesting with, with hair specifically because uh, I feel like hairstyles and changing hairstyles can have a direct effect on how you feel as a person. Um, not, not necessarily if they have to be the way you're doing your hair as an expression of who you are, but drastic changes in hair and just, I think, seeing yourself in the way, way it feels, whether it's long, short, all all those things have a a subconscious effect on our, on our psyche and how we, uh, how we feel, even if it's just on a, a sensory level, because I'm thinking about as an actor, uh, I never actually realized I did this. Whenever I'm playing a role where they give me some kind of drastically different hair, I always end up wanting to keep it for a while to kind of just experience life, I guess, with that hair. It sounds funny, and I've never actually consciously thought about this, but now that 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 is probably why I do it is it's just, it gives me a different feeling. And I kind of want to take that experience I have diving into a character and kind of, I guess, soaking it a little longer and the, the keeping the hair kind of helps. And I've heard with, with other actors, people will do that with costume pieces or the, the shoes they wore a, as a character, just to kind of feel something um, new. And I guess yeah. it's weird because now it, it does kind of go into the, the, the quote I had, uh, which which I'll read. It's a Pema Children quote. Compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded. It's a relationship between equals. Only when we know our own darkness well can we be present with the darkness of others. Compassion becomes real when we recognize our shared humanity. And for for me, I guess tying it in with the 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 hair thing is I do think uh what what resonates with me in, in the quote is this idea of shared humanity. And in that understanding is where compassion comes from and also where compassion leads. And I think doing things like doing anything that makes you feel different ways or explore different things, I think helps build your capacity to be able to be compassionate and kind of understand the the shared humanity because I think there's two there's kind of two aspects to it there's a um, compassion element and then an empathy element right so compassion is more being in in a in a clinical sense is more being able to understand uh, someone else and empathy is actually being able to feel and put yourself in someone else's shoes and I think those require slightly different abilities and and they they works in slightly different ways i'm pointing to the same place but i think they're two slightly different tools if that makes sense yeah i think they're two they're slightly different tools and i think that playing a character um as an actor is a way to step into using those tools kind of whichever one you connect with more um And I think that, yeah, with hair, it's a similar thing. It's kind of this experience of being able to go out in the world and be perceived differently. And so to have a different experience, um, to kind of, to, to step out into the world and with, with a different, 
lens that people are perceiving you from, which kind of creates a different experience for you. And I think um, if we could look at life more like that and not saying, you know, kind of just putting on like a role and playing somebody that you're not, because I don't want it to seem like, I mean, you know, going out in the world and like putting on a character. But I do think that like finding a way to be less tied to who you perceive yourself as already or who you whatever box you've kind of already put yourself in and being willing to step out into the world with a different attitude a different kind of way about yourself a different kind of way that you're perceiving yourself I think that that actually can really open you up to new experiences um you know I think that we have to be we have to be open to to experience empathy or compassion we have to be open you know, and so when we when we open ourselves up to different experiences, then we're kind of open to also having a different perception of those experiences and building kind of different relationships and, and being able to take that and integrate that into yourself. You know, I hear mm-hmm. from actors and I don't know if this is this is true for you, but um, I hear from actors that they integrate a part of the character, maybe not every character. Um, but a lot of kind of those meaningful characters that you'll play or roles that you'll play a lot of times that will impact someone so much that you kind of integrate parts of that person into yourself as you're evolving, you know, and, and going back to what you said before that, that, that we're constantly kind of moving and shifting and and evolving. And so being able to kind of integrate those pieces into yourself. Um, And so for me, similar to like, when I walked out this week, I just, I felt a different kind of confidence about myself you know and I'm not I wouldn't say that I'm just like extremely insecure at this point in my life I feel pretty confident in where I'm at most times but it was just a different I just had a different kind of feeling stepping out into the world knowing that like you know I stand out more mm-hmm. and being okay with that and being able to accept that standing out more and 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 actually enjoying that feeling and kind of allowing that to like nourish me um, and giving myself permission to feel that, you know, to, to get attention and be okay with that, you know? So there was kind of a lot of things that just in this last week have happened for me just with making a drastic hair change. Right. And it's, it's interesting because I think one of the questions I get the most, uh, about it's mostly from people who are, uh, looking into Buddhism and still have kind of a uh, standard. Uh, they're trying to put it in the box of a standard organized religion with uh, theology and, and set rules, which right. s- some Buddhist sects are like that, but some some aren't. And what I get asked a lot is about the, the minimalism and the anti-materialistic aspect of the the religion. Uh, specifically around hair and tattoos on if they're mindful and if doing that is mindful if they're or if they're materialistic uh, just in nature and what I for me and whenever this comes up it becomes a heated debate between different schools of thought and how people just perceive it so this is not me speaking for Buddhism or anything it's just, just speaking for me uh, for me it's like everything else we talk about it's a tool so if you're doing it as a if you're getting a tattoo or changing your hair as a way to escape something or to hide from something that's not very mindful uh but if you're using it to remind yourself to be mindful and to help yourself grow then you are using it in a way that is mindful yeah i i i totally agree with that and I think that like I, I think that I understand the the the, the reason for the debate and the, the source for that debate but I also think that you know for me I think there is a concept of being able to kind of be mindfully styled and, and pay attention to that because I think that how I present myself in the world is really a reflection of how I'm feeling about myself. And when I'm mindful about that and when I'm thinking about that and I'm doing it from a place of not of, you know, competition with others or, or, or judgment of, you know, wanting to kind of 
appear to be something, but I'm really thinking about, you know, who am I and how can I present myself in the world? And like you said, use it as a tool to be my best and kind of most mindful self. Um, I think that, that that's, that that is mindful. But I also think that for some people, that's not a part of their mindful process. And for some people, you know, there's not really an inclination to style themselves differently or, you know, that that your mind just doesn't even go there. And so I think that for that person, that's, that's mindful as well, kind of doing what works for you and not allowing other people to kind of tell you, well, you need to pay more attention to this, or you need to care more to be, you know, of value. You know what I mean? So I think it it really kind of comes from a personal place, but I know for me personally, um, how I, you know, dress myself, how I style myself, tattoos, things like that are part of me being able to share myself in a, in a, in an, in an honest and kind of authentic way. Yeah. I think too, there's a, uh, an interesting distinction between what I think you're saying in that uh, you wanted a change to put something else to put a different self out there in, in front of others, but not necessarily in a way where you're trying or planning to control it as opposed to, I'll, I'll give an example uh, the, the debate over whether uh, tattoos and these things are materialistic or can be mindful always starts with talking about meditation beads uh, because yeah. a lot of people wear them. And I, I think there's, People wear them for all different different reasons, but I'll give kind of one example on each side is I know a lot of people who will wear them because they like that through the day. It reminds them to take a breath, to step back, to be mindful. There's a very clear intention for why they wear them. And I know people who wear them because they want everyone to know that they meditate and that they're spiritually enlightened and all these things are trying that their intention is to. Uh, manipulate others into perceiving them a certain way and a a way that they want controlled. And to me, that is the unmindful way to do it um, as opposed to, and I I feel like that's, that's a a difference in perception that you're talking about because you're saying you want to perceive you want to be perceived differently because you feel differently and you're putting something else out there. But the part that would make that unmindful is if you were trying to control that and saying, I want people to see me this specific way. So I'm going to change myself to fit in to that and try to control how others are perceiving me. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, this is definitely coming from like the change is from the inside and kind of just, wanting to the outside to reflect that. Cause I think a lot of times people don't know where you're at. People don't realize that people have grown. I think that's one of the, the struggles is a lot of times we, we witness people and we see each other, but we have these expectations for people to be the same person that they were mm-hmm. a decade ago, you know, just based on what we see. And so I think for me, um, yeah, it's kind of just being able to share, like I'm, I'm different. I feel different. I look different. So however you perceive that is, is okay. But I do think that even, you know, with like the, the wearing the um, meditation beads and the malas, I, I, I like that example. And I think that, you know, even when someone is doing it to kind of control that perception, I think that like, that's something that they can kind of like, that's a, that's a, um, what am I trying to say? Um, for that person, that's where they're at. And so right. kind of for, for, for another person observing that being able to, so I guess the debate for me, when people are kind of debating whether it's mindful or whether it's not, I think it's like one of those things where I think it's really hard to say because someone's intentions are so internal. And if it is, you know, to kind of control the perception or to create a, image of 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 being this mindful enlightened person then there's still a desire to kind of be that person and there's an interest in that and so even if they can kind of dig in and and learn from that then it's still that's kind of just a part of their process 
Right. It's about it's about the awareness of it. Yes. Uh, totally. I the the in the example I gave, I think where it lacked is a lot of the people uh, who who debate this, who specifically are t- are talking about it from the perspective uh, who are new to mindfulness are unaware that their intention is them trying to manipulate others into seeing them uh, a certain way. Right. So I think in the in the lack of awareness is where it becomes unmindful uh yeah. because really any of any of your intention mindfulness like we say is a tool any 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 intention you have as long as there's an awareness of it that's mindful whether that's a good intention or a bad intention uh it's still mindful to a point uh so yeah i had a thought and now it's running from my head uh oh uh shared humanity and i yeah. we were talking about uh the per- perception of self and i love that idea of perception of self because it's interesting because i think most people understand that when they look at themselves as a self that they are ever changing and that there is nothing uh there's not like a fixed being we are learning we are growing and it's interesting that it seems like when we perceive others sense of self we do give this idea that in others self is fixed so we meet someone and we have this we have this perceived idea of who they are and it's very hard to change that perception there almost needs to be and it's it goes back into the shared humanity because the only times i ever see it really change is when there is a deep moment of shared humanity between two people. And then they kind of open up to realizing that their person is not what they thought. There's a deeper understanding of, of, I think that shared humanity and shared self and, and shared being and shared compassion and, and all those things. Yeah. I think we have like a very narrow very, very narrow perception of other people. And so I think that like, you know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, the things about myself that I feel like I'm sharing more, or I'm, you know, expressing more have always been there, but they haven't really been expressed. Right. And so I think mm-hmm. part of it is that we, we, we know ourselves and we know that there's deeper things that we're not like, expressing to the world we know that we have our inner you know inner desires and and interests and things that maybe we're not completely comfortable sharing yet but we're aware of that for ourselves but i think that we have this this lack of awareness of that for other people and so a lot of times you know you'll see where we have expectations that people be the same or, or or be presenting themselves in the same way that they were when we knew them or or when we met them and yet that person may be now being more open and honest about what they're interested in or kind of more in touch with themselves on a deeper level. And so I think it's interesting because I think we, we can realize that we're deep, but we seem to like make everybody else kind of, you know, surface level, which is, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of funny. It's, and I think that that's right where you're talking about that, that shared humanity when we have an experience with someone where we actually recognize, oh, okay, no, there is a lot below the surface there's a lot more to you than i realize there's a lot that we can connect on but a lot of times i think we're just not our expectations are based on kind of surface level awareness of others right it's interesting too how we and i'm assuming this is a human thing but it's definitely an an american thing at least is how we assign people uh, how do I want to word this? That we we assume we know things about people based on how they look. Um, and I'm thinking about, I mean, I'm going back to hair, and it's like it does. You don't think about it on a daily basis, but if I see someone on the street, I have I I create an idea of who they are based on how they're dressed, what their hair is, uh, all those things. And I'm I'm aware enough that a lot of times I will. Yes, I, I kind of take that analysis, but then I, I'm aware enough to know, like, that's just my mind putting things together based on how they look. That's not actually any reflection of who they are as a person, but my mind still 
naturally does that. And I think that's a survival. I think that's a survival thing of just knowing like what's danger based on, based on cues and, and all that stuff. But it, it, it's interesting because I think a lot of people don't have the awareness and truly believe that people are the way they look based on how you perceive those looks to me. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And as you were talking about that, the biggest thing for me I was thinking about is race, you know, and you think about how huge that perception is. So for people who have not had any experience with black people, haven't met black women, don't know anybody, then they may meet me and they're going to have all these expectations about me and who they think I am based on that, you know, and I've experienced that so many times in my life. And it's, you know, I'm at the point now, you know, there were multiple different ways that I would experience it. Frustration, just kind of like thinking it was kind of comical at at, at different points in my life, being sad about it at different points in my life. And now it's just kind of now that I have the awareness and I can kind of just step back and see this person just has no idea that they're doing that. They're not even Mm -hmm. aware that that's what they're doing because a lot of times, you know, when people are doing it to me, it's not in a negative, um, it's not in like a hateful way. It's, it's, it's often, you know, cloaked in a very kind of positive, Oh my gosh, you, you know, and then all of these things about me or things that they've assumed about me based on me being, um, a black woman, you know? And so it's interesting because I think that we all do it. Um, and I just think that the level that we do it on based on our own experiences and, and how, how broad our lens is. So if you have a, a, a much broader lens or you grew up with a lens that, you know, you experience lots of different types of people, lots of different presentations, you may, you're still going to do it because we're human, but maybe not on as much of a pervasive level as somebody who grew up in a really insular bubble um, where they didn't experience a lot of, of different races and cultures and, 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 and viewpoints and styles. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at certain areas where everybody looks the same, you know, as far as like style and and kind of dressing and, and, and what people are comfortable wearing. You know, I've, I've visited places um, in the country where I'm just amazed at how similar everybody looks just kind of just with like clothing choices you know, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Was living in LA, you know, growing up um, outside of Chicago, I've always been, I've always experienced a pretty diverse um, level of style. And so, so my lens is, 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 is different, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, every time I get off the plane visiting home, that's the first thing I notice. I look in the airport, I'm like, everybody looks the same. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing. My uh, my my friends who who moved to a different city um, in Louisiana noticed they were just like everybody dresses the same, you know. It's just it's just it's it's amazing, you know. It's interesting though because uh, I'm try- I'm trying to put this into a, a perspective of mindfulness, and I don't even think it's a question of are these judgments mindful or not, because I'm thinking. Well, if we want to get to a place where we don't have these judgments, that to me seems unmindful as well, because I'm thinking about uh, the people I, uh, you hear it all the time of, I don't, this is a specific example, I don't see color. And my, whenever I hear someone say that, I have two thoughts, and this may me not being very mindful and thinking that I, I put it kind of in, they're either lying, or they're just incredibly unaware, because... I feel like if you were aware of the cultural and racial issues in the country, you would see it because you would see that there's something wrong. You would you would see like, I mean, for me, mostly in the terms of when I see uh, race or even different re- religion or nationalities, things like that, my judgments aren't necessarily uh based on what I think that who that I think that person is it's I go straight to questioning what their experience is based on what I know about the issues surrounding race and and religion and and nationality and and those things if that makes sense so I think I, I think it's it's a tool like anything else where it's just 
human nature to take visual cues and it's trying to bring as much mindfulness into how we and, and awareness into how we take in those visual cues and what we do with them um, that makes it mindful. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that like the expectation that there's not, that it, that it won't happen is not really mindful at all. You know, just that, that, that expectation. I mean, there's a part of it that's just, I mean, it, not even a part of it. A lot of it is just kind of a natural reaction. Um, and, but it's more about what do you do with that? How do you integrate that? How do you allow that to, how do you allow your, your awareness of that, of the fact that you do make these judgments and you do have, you know, you do have these kind of initial judgments. How can you be aware of that and allow that awareness to, to create how you actually behave, you know, cause there's, there's judgments and there's, there's our, there's our initial, you know, seeing things or, or feeling something or gut reactions or, or fears or we're triggered by something. All of that is very visceral. There's a lot of that we can't control, but we can control our reaction. You can control whether you say something or you tweet something hateful or you, you know, have a negative conversation or you express that to somebody or you, you know, so I think part of that is that you have to bring the awareness in to your own triggers and the, 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 your own reactions to things so that you can integrate that and use that in a way that's 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 mindful and that's what kind of that whole process is what's what what makes it mindful having to do that process we we can't just be triggered and just allow our automatic reactions to dictate our our behaviors and then kind of just fall back on well this is what i know or i was triggered that's extremely unmindful and i think a lot of times people do fall back on that that it's easy to say well this is what i know or this is what i've seen or this is where I grew up, but not being willing to do that work of kind of being mindful and, and, and moving forward. Right. Yeah. It's the, the other part of the quote that I, that I really love and, and something uh, I, I think is the, the hardest part of uh, compassion in, in relation to mindfulness. And I'll just read the one sentence. Only when we know our own darkness well, can we be present with the darkness of others. Mm-hmm. And the, the buzzword I or phrase I use is selective compassion. I feel like we are a culture of selective compassion where we like to deem who is worthy of compassion and who isn't worthy of compassion. And I think well, we do it for a lot, lot of different reasons. We do it because it, it makes ourselves better or makes us, ourselves feel better about uh, people doing terrible things. It's easier to just label someone as evil and undeserving of our compassion than realize that this is a human being who has been formed to do these terrible things. And they're, even though they've doing these terrible things, there is a shared humanity and that's very scary. And I like going back to the acting thing. I think that's one of the biggest lessons I learned uh, as an actor, because I've, uh, I tend to play edgier characters who are quite dark. And I think the only way you really are able to go there is if you realize where the shared humanity is and what what how you as an individual would possibly get to where these people are and understanding that if you were put in their shoes with their entire history, it's very likely that you would end up the the same way. And I think out of context of acting, I think on a, a daily basis, I think that's petrifying to a lot of people to think in every human is that ca- capacity to do terrible things under certain conditions. Um, but I think in that, is what is going to propel us forward into being more, more mindful. And it's like I we've said so many times is uh, compassion is not about excusing behavior. It's not about uh, accepting it. It's, it's about bringing an awareness 
of why why it's happening on a, on a deep level and so you can move forward to real solutions we live in a country where the solution is lock them up separate them and and you're good and we just mass incarcerate and anyone we don't like and it and it's that's our solution but it, it really changes nothing because we're not fixing any issues at the core mm-hmm. uh because we because we really have believed and and are ruled by this idea of selective compassion right right and the more you continue to do that process the more it actually creates the more kind of you have to the more people you have to to lock up the more people that fit under that kind of umbrella of being the forgotten the ones that are not worthy of that compassion to kind of keep that system going because the system in and of itself is not compassionate right you know and so it's like it has to kind of continue to to feed and it 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 grows and you look at our our incarceration system in this country and i mean just you know, from when I was a little kid to what it is now is just astonishing, you know, the, the, the numbers. And, and I think that it's, I think it, you're right. It's because of how we, we choose to, to marginalize and, and separate and otherize um, mm-hmm. people that, that, that have negative behaviors rather than being able to recognize that concept of shared humanity and, and, and see our own connection and, and, and see how somebody could end up in that place and, and treat them with with compassion as we would our own if someone was in that experience. Right. And I think it's a negative uh, with where humanity is at with uh, this expansion into kind of uh, globalism, uh, because, uh, I mean, glo- globalism is, is great for us being interconnected and have a broader understanding of what is happening globally and feeling more, I guess, part of the world as opposed to just part of a country or a race or a religion or whatever that the box we're, we're going to put people mm-hmm. in. But I think one of the, the challenges of it is it takes us out of this feeling of community in a way. Because it just seems like things get so big and there's so many people and there's um, a a larger distance between between people. Because I'm thinking about when I was in Iceland and how they do their prison system and they don't have a prison system. They have a few hundred people who are in rehabilitation centers. And the whole thing is, even if you're a murderer, the whole point of their thing is you are in there to learn to better your life and get out so you can be productive and, and a good human being. Um, and the reason they, and I remember being on a tour and the tour guide was telling people that, and the Americans were just like, you wouldn't lock them away for it. They like were outraged that yeah. their prison system is one of compassion really. And the guy explained it perfectly. He was like, well, we're a small country. We know, we know everybody. It's like, if someone's being locked up for murder, it's, someone's brother that's our best friend who's somehow related to someone that we care about like it's just we're not going to just lock people up and throw away the key we, we care about these people and we want to help them but also understand how they got there so we don't repeat the same problems and i think it's just a complete switch in mentality from the way i think most of the world really currently thinks. Yeah. Well, I I think that we are getting to a place where things that people are more in need of that kind of thinking or people are are craving that more. And so I think that you're right, that it it is completely um, not how most of the world does things, but I think that there's starting to be a shift and people are starting to recognize that like that, needs to happen and we do need to start leading with compassion and 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 with that awareness and with the concept of shared humanity because we're not going to um be able to kind of continue the way things are going so i think there has been a shift that's happening so that's a positive thing yeah and i think uh, the other the other thing is i think this the to point out is the strength in full compassion and not 
selective compassion because I think we live in a culture where compassion is still vastly considered weak um, and a sign of weakness as opposed to a sign of strength where it, it takes so much energy and, and so much more intellect and, and, and emotional strength and physical strength in a lot of ways to be fully compassionate even when it's hard. Someone someone big in the, the entertainment industry uh, posted on Facebook, and I think they just shared it. I don't think they were the ones who originated it, about the the problem with progressives is is that they're too compassionate and that they don't like that this person didn't like uh, the idea of showing Republicans, Donald Trump, people they disagree with compassion because they don't get compassion in return. And my my first instinct was to get a little defensive. And then I, I sat back and tried to be mindful. And I and I I fully understood where that person is coming from, because it's incredibly challenging when someone is not showing you compassion to have the strength to then show show them compassion. Um, but it that is what is going to make us different than those we are, are trying to affect and, and the change we're we're trying to make. I mean, if we're just going to, if because we're not being showed compassion, we're not going to show and we're just going to do exactly what those we disagree with are doing, then the shared humanity is much closer because we're doing exactly what they're doing. We're, we're the same. Um, so we might as well be fighting with ourselves as opposed to trying to fight with some imaginary other. But I think when you try to show compassion in those hard situations, you are searching for that shared humanity. And it does two things. It helps you understand, but it also, in a lot of ways, gives you a way to to tap into what they're feeling and help that person see the shared as humanity as well. And it's not, some people are just shut down and it's never going to happen. They're never going to see your shared humanity, but I mean, at least you, you have a better understanding of who that person is and, and the, the trials they're, they're facing, I guess. And then you can come up with real solutions to help others who are receptive and, and open and at a place in their lives where they can grow and, and change. Right. Right. And and also part of your work is accepting that there are others who won't accept or understand you, you know, and that's kind of part of that being mindful about that process and kind of being able to do the work to be okay with that and to still be able to move forward and affect change where you can. Right. Yeah. You have to, I mean, compassion has to be, for it to be compassion has to be egoless. And if you're showing someone compassion in order to get compassion back, that is ego fully immersed in it. And that is yes. not you actually, that is not compassion. That's you. I mean, in a lot of ways, faking compassion to get something in return. Right. Uh, so. Right. <sighs> but I do, I do think we are moving. I think with, with the, Global. I think we're in a weird time just because we're we have so much technology at our disposal and we're so interconnected with people and we're and it's still so new. I mean, the yeah. internet's yeah. only been around. Has I mean, people are alive who didn't have the internet. Like it's not. We're we're still figuring it out. And when you look at it, the, there's clear pros and cons to it. As for every for each way, we're starting to feel more connected. There's a way where we're a little bit disconnected and I think it's going to take time to, to suss that out and, and kind of see where it takes us. I think right now it's just important to, uh, you know, be mindful and try to uh, bring mindfulness into your life. And it's like the, from last week, the quote, it's be the example. It's not about going and trying to change everyone and making everyone be more mindful, be mindful for yourself and be open to those who are, are open to you so that you can help them if they, if they want help. Um, but I, I, it starts, it, it really starts with us on an individual level and then it grows. 
Exactly. It's it's important to to do your own do your own work, do your own do your own growth. There's a there's a song. I don't even know when the song was written and I don't know who wrote it, so I I'm gonna have to look it up later. But the the, the song is like sweep around your own front door before you try to sweep around mind. And so basically we all have our own growth and our own kind of focus that we can be doing and 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 so I think that's that's how we actually connect when we when we're able to kind of do our own work and then share that process with others. I think that's where I've really been able to connect with people and 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 have those really positive experiences, but it starts with focusing on 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 my own mindfulness process. Mm-hmm. And I think too, I think it, uh just for people who are I guess struggling to find compassion or find shared humanity i I think the the best ways to do it are i mean there's so there's so many ways to do it just volunteering for causes helping the homeless just going i mean there's so many different churches and community services that you can go to to just meet people like um i i can't remember but someone uh someone who was it? It was a completely different topic. We were talking about uh, Black Lives Matter and about uh, how a, a lot of white people go to Black Lives Matter events. And their big question is, uh, well, how how can I become better educated? Or please explain to me this situation yeah. or stuff like that. And someone said, don't when you when you ask for it, it's just it's it's off-putting and it's because it's not someone else's job to do that but there are ways to to do it without asking and for it to be a genuine thing and they were saying go to a primarily black church and go just sit in the service and, and meet people not with the expectation that you're going to sit them down and be like explain racism to me right, but me. just to yeah. get to know them and to to be a friend and and to be part of their communities um and that's how you learn i mean with me i i don't think i've ever sat anyone down to be like explain this issue to me it's just i learn about the issue because i my network is so diverse that i know people affected by every issue and i know them as human beings not as just a person part of this issue um and i think that is, is where it all comes from because the internet's a great resource for gathering information um, that needs to be sussed out because there's a lot of fake information and there's great videos and things to, to, to help understand and people put up their personal stories, but it's still not the same as actually living those stories with people. Right. Right. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're a hundred percent right. You, you, need to kind of do the work of exposing yourself to to the issues and to people who are affected by those issues and like you said not in a way of coming in and kind of either you know expecting to have some kind of role in the direction of things or or coming in wanting to kind of teach but just coming in and and, and being there you know just seeing like you said volunteering at a at a at a church going and and spending time in different communities and actually I think part of the, what's difficult about that is that that's uncomfortable for people. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the difficult part is that when we put ourselves into different spaces, I think the internet allows for some disconnection. And so it makes it less, right. less, less, less uncomfortable, but I think to really grow and, 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 and to kind of gather some impact from it, I think that really, putting yourself in a position where you, you are actually exposed to people and, and, and speaking and, and, and sharing stories and making yourself uncomfortable by going into communities that you're not used to, that maybe you just drive through um, mm-hmm. on the freeway, but actually, you know, going into some of these spaces and, and, and doing the work and kind of doing the work around what comes up when you are in those spaces and what's uncomfortable for you and not asking the people who are there to, help you process that work or like marveling over, you know, this is my first time at a black church or something like that. And, you know, expecting the people there to be like, well, congratulations. Good for you. You know, you came, but just being able to then go and kind of digest that elsewhere and and do your work to kind of 
explore what that feels like for yourself. But I think part of that, we have to be willing to be a little uncomfortable and to really kind of gather that empathy. And I think that's where a lot of times that empathy comes from is by, by feeling what that feels like. Right. And growth, I mean, in general, I think growth rarely happens when we're comfortable. If it ever happens when we're comfortable, it's not until we're uncomfortable that growth happens. I mean, one of my other favorite quotes is life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And I, I I mean, I can't think of any time in my life where I've grown being comfortable. It always, it's, I mean, that's what growth is. Growth is uncomfortable. I mean, Puberty is uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> it's not a term for no reason. Yeah, mm-hmm. growth is painful. It, it, it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't really have a homework assignment. No, <laughs> I don't have one either. Yeah. I but. just. Uh, I hope everyone is uh, safe. Uh, we're both in Los Angeles, so things are a little crazy with all the the fires and stuff. Um, I feel like they're doing a great job of evacuating uh, people before there's uh, too much tragedy, uh, which is great, but a lot of people are losing their homes, and yeah. it's just intense. So. It's very, very intense, and if you're getting evacuation orders, please heed those warnings. Um, you know, I think that it's scary to leave your things but at the same time it, it's 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 this fire these fires are moving so fast and so it's pretty risky out there but yeah it's very very intense and so we're just wishing everybody safety right now yeah and just uh try to if you're in la try to keep yourself informed of what's going on um because uh there's tons of street closures uh they were i drove through the fires today and the 405 because there was nowhere else to go so they were rerouting everyone on the 405 before they closed it um but it it was incredibly scary and just watching the drivers every driver who passed by me you could just see the terror in their eyes so if you can avoid going in those areas if you can take day off work what whatever uh try try to be as safe as possible